Welcome to a podcast of AOC 2020 organized by Dr. Dev Pelajani, Dr. Satyavan Sharma, Dr. Ajit Desai and Dr. Akshay Mehta of the Academy of Cardiology Mumbai. This podcast is produced by the rightdoctors.com digital knowledge partners to the event. Coming up, a talk by Dr. JJ Dalal on idiopathic pulmonary hypertension in women. I'm going to talk on uh, idiopathic uh, pulmonary hypertension in women. Uh, just like to mention that the treatment diagnosis and management doesn't differ between men and women uh, but the fact remains that women are much more prone to getting idiopathic pulmonary hypertension as compared to men uh, it's uh, basically a rare disease this podcast is produced by the rightdoctors.com digital knowledge partners to the event coming up a talk by dr jj dalal on idiopathic pulmonary hypertension in women I'm going to talk on uh, idiopathic uh, pulmonary hypertension in women. Uh, just like to mention that the treatment diagnosis and management doesn't differ between men and women, uh, but the fact remains that women are much more prone to getting idiopathic pulmonary hypertension as compared to men. Uh, it's uh, basically a rare disease uh, though we see it uh, often on in our clinics uh, uh, and amongst the various forms of pulmonary hypertension idiopathic pulmonary hypertension is the most common form. Uh, except if you exclu- exclude the left heart uh, disease because the if you look at all forms of pulmonary hypertension left heart disease resulting in pulmonary hypertension is the most common form the idiopathic hypertension is much more common in women uh, usually at a young age of 20 to 40 and these days we are seeing more complex types of pulmonary hypertensions even in elderly people and with comorbid conditions and one of the problems is that most of these patients by the time they come to you they are in class 3 so they are really in the final stages of the, of the disease uh, the cellular changes happen uh, in pulmonary hypertension first there is an endothelial dysfunction uh, there is a vascular remodeling intermal fibrosis and eventually in situ uh, thrombosis uh, resulting in uh, poor prognosis of these patients as far as diagnosis is concerned uh, standard methods of physical examination a 6 minute walking time not for diagnosing but for evaluating uh, the uh, the disability of the pulmonary hypertension and then pulmonary function test ecg but i think the most important uh, investigation and the simplest investigation uh, remains the echocardiography for a basic primary diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension but though the echocardiography is most commonly used for diagnosing pulmonary hypertension and uh, it's not as accurate uh, as a right heart catheterization uh, if you look at the meta analysis of multiple studies you'll see that the sensitivity is about 85% and a specificity about 74% and this becomes even lower if the patient has got a lung disease so if you have lung disease the echo is even less reliable in terms of diagnosing an idiopathic pulmonary hypertension and therefore right heart catheterization still remains most important Now, unfortunately most of us who used to do lots of right heart catheterization in the past have simply stopped doing right heart catheterization for some reason or the other so that many times uh, we miss diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension or we misdiagnose pulmonary hypertension as idiopathic pulmonary hypertension when actually it is say for example uh, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction So if a patient who presents with pulmonary hypertension which we often see on an echocardiography we diagnose them as an idiopathic pulmonary hypertension but actually that diastolic heart failure and you don't diagnose that uh, if you did a right heart catheter you would find that increased uh, capillary wedge pressure and you would easily differentiate that uh, from an idiopathic pulmonary hypertension patient I think most important of course I want to move on to treatment goals and the treatment goal is of course to improve the quality of life improve the patient's exercise capacity uh, to uh, 
prevent clinical worsening, reduce hospitalization, and then of course uh, select patients who do not respond and who would need lung transplantation. When you see a patient with pulmonary hypertension, it's important for you to uh, find out those patients who are vasoreactive. About 10% of, between 5 and 10% of patients are vasoreactive and you cannot diagnose vasoreactive pulmonary hypertension unless you do a right heart catheter. So all these patients need to undergo right heart catheter with nitric oxide inhalation and if you have a reduction of a mean pulmonary artery pressure of more than 10 millimeters or a pulmonary artery pressure mean falls below 40 without a change in cardiac output and that would be considered as a positive response and these are the patients who need to be put on nifedipine uh, and see the response to nifedipine. So you cannot start nifedipine unless you do a vasoreactive test. As I said, the chances of picking up vasoreactive about 5 or 10 percent. And since most of us don't do right heart catheterization except in pH clinics, etc., you may miss this whole group of vasoreactive uh, pulmonary hypertension group. When you come to treatment of uh, idiopathic pulmonary hypertension, there are three main groups of therapies. The endothelin pathway, which is bosantan, amrisantan, and mesotantan. And fortunately, all three are available with us uh, in our country. Then there's the nitric oxide pathway, the, process, the PD inhibitors, which is sildenafil, tadafil, and uh, riosigvat. And again, all three are available with us, and we can choose them. And then, of course, you have the prostacycline pathway, which is uh, the various uh, prostacycline, uh, eloprost, uh, uh, selexipag, etc. And unfortunately, none of these uh, prostacyclines are freely available in our country. So, we just have two groups available. The third we can get with difficulty and there are some patients in Kokilabin where we have a pH clinic where they are on prostacyclines. And mainly these are the patients who are uh, congenital with pulmonary hypertension rather than adult idiopathic pulmonary hypertension. So, our therapy predominantly relates to the endothelin pathway or the nitric oxide pathway. Now, if you look at the mode of action of sildenafil or tadanafil, you'll see that it predominantly acts uh, uh, at the conversion of cyclic GMP to GMP and therefore increasing the levels of cyclic GMP. So, that's how sildenafil and tadanafil acts. Uh, Riosigvat, which has now recently been available with us, predominantly acts on the guanyl cyclase stimulation and therefore the mode of action is different. Uh, compared to sildenafil tadanafil. So, both, although they form in that same class of actions, their mode of actions is different. And we've just been discussing recently at the PH meeting that there are some patients who have been not so responsive to sildenafil and tadanafil and when shifted to Riosegbat had better response. So, I think it's something which we need to keep in mind. Uh, maybe not that is the first drug of choice, but certainly in patients uh, who do not respond to sildenafil or tadanafil. Sildenafil is something which is most commonly used uh, and was the earliest drug available to us. The problem is that it needs to be given multiple times a day and therefore has compliance issues. It also has vasodilatory side effects like epistaxis, headaches, flushing. It has occasionally been noticed to have loss of vision, loss of hearing and it also has significant drug interactions. If you look at tadalafil, which has become much more common today as a drug of choice for treatment of idiopathic pulmonary hypertension, it has a much longer half-life and therefore has to be given just once a day in 20 or 40 milligram dosages in the multiple trials uh, showing the benefit of tadalafil. So, in my practice, usually uh, I choose tadalafil over sildenafil as the first drug of choice for this group of drugs. 
Rio Sigbat, I don't have any personal experience with. There have been a few patients at a hospital who have been on the drug. Uh, it has to be started in a dose of about a milligram and gradually uh, increased. Again, it's a dose which requires to be given three times a day. It has shown increase in terms of six-minute walking time, uh, a reduction of uh, pro-BNPs, improvement of functional heart classification. So it's another drug which we need to keep in mind and can be used particularly if Tadanafil uh, has not been uh, effective in a group of patients. And of course, it is very commonly used as a treatment for CTPH and I think that's one of the focuses of use of Riasagwat in treatment of pulmonary hypertension. So of course, CTPH is not really uh, idiopathic uh, pulmonary hypertension. When you move to the endothelin receptors, uh, they block the endothelin receptor type A and type B. And uh, by blocking these, they have effect in terms of reduction of pulmonary artery pressure, pulmonary vascular resistance, and mean right atrial pressure. The first one which was available was bosantan. The big problem was bosantan is it's hepatotoxic because of its uh, inhibition of bile salt uh, export pump. Uh, and therefore, the liver function abnormalities in studies were seen about 11% with bosantan compared to about 2% with the placebo. Again, it's to be given twice daily and it also has a significant drug-drug interaction. So, I think now with the availability of ambrosantan, which is uh, a, one of the drugs which has much less effect on the bile salt and therefore less effect on the liver function test, it has a very high affinity for endothelin A about 4,000 times more uh, efficacy. It doesn't have too many drug-drug interactions uh, and clinically can be given once a day in the dose of usually 5 or 10 milligrams. So, most of the patients now have been shifted from bosantan to amrisantan, which again, so the combination or the use of tadalafil and amrisantan is probably a more rational use rather than use of bosantan or sildenafil, which I think can easily be replaced by these drugs. Uh, there are multiple studies with ambrosantan, it improves functional class, uh, it has effect on uh, survival, uh, it improves 6 minute walking time and is a pretty safe drug uh, even over a long period of uh, time of up to 2 years. Uh, mesitantan is now just recently be available, I think about a year or so now. Uh, it has a better potency and a receptor affinity towards uh, binding specifically the ETA uh, receptor. And it's again uh, useful orally, it has a long half-life and can be used for a single uh, once-a-day dose. Now, whether you use amrisantan or mesitantan, both are equally efficacious. Uh, there is no trials comparing one versus the other. Uh, mesitantan action is much longer because its active metabolic uh, acts for a longer period of time. So, it's a certainly a longer-acting drug. Uh, the uh, seraphin trial using mesitantan uh, uh, 10 milligrams uh, showed clearly an improvement in exercise capacity and in functional class and it's also one of the only drugs uh, to have shown a reduction in mortality and a reduction in hospitalization. So, I think there are definite certain advantages of mesitantan above uh, ambrisantan as well. And again, if you look at uh, this particular trial, which was in children and young adults with pulmonary hypertension, shifting them from bosantan to mesitantan would increase uh, the six-minute walking time. So, I think that uh, if we were to choose between the three, it would be either ambrisantan or mesitantan, depending on uh, uh, which one you wish to prefer, with some evidence to suggest uh, that mesitantan has an uh, effect on morbidity and mortality. Uh, also, uh, mesitantan has also been used in CTPH uh, just as uh, Rio Segwat has been used. 
the important aspect today is uh, somewhat the same thought process as we have with hypertension. Should we start with one drug and then increase the dose and then add the second drug? Or should we use a combination of drugs and get the maximum effect as quickly as possible? And the recent data seems to suggest that when you combine drugs, it is more efficacious, the blood pressure, I mean the pulmonary artery pressures reduce more, patient symptoms get controlled and the patient quickly returns to a low risk pulmonary hypertension rather than high risk. There's a COMPASS trial which did a study with bosentan to sildenafil combination. It did not show any improvement in morbidity or mortality, but it did show improvement in six-week walking, uh, six-minute walking time and in reduction of NT-proBNP. And it was fairly safe to combine the two, so there was no additive side effects of combining uh, sildenafil uh, with uh, bosentan. The AMBITION trial, I think, was a major sort of trial breakthrough in the thought process of treatment and that was the combination of ambrisentin and tadalafil in patients with pulmonary hypertension. Uh, they used 10 milligrams of uh, ambrisentin with 40 milligrams of tadalafil or ambrisentin alone or tadalafil alone. So they combined each alone with the combination of two. Uh, and they looked at the various effects and whether you looked at one alone or both alone or the pooled monotherapy versus the combination, there's a clear benefit in terms of uh, uh, combination therapy. So recent guidelines have suggested that you should not do one therapy, increase the dose, add the second one, but try and use a combination of optimal doses. Tadanafil has the advantage that it's long acting, so once a day. Uh, and uh, amrisatan again is once a day, so clearly it's a once a day drug uh, can be given uh, for benefit to these patients. Uh, there's also a very recent trial where there's a use of combination of tadanafil with uh, mesotantan as well called the Optima trial. And uh, there is data in terms of uh, improvement, uh, six minute walking distance increased, there was a, a improvement in terms of functional capacity and again there was no safety issues with combination. So you have now evidence of combination of both tadanafil and amrisantan or with mesotantan and you can choose whichever uh, you wish to choose of the two. As far as the postracycline group is concerned, you have apoprostanol, uh, uh, which is intravenous, then you have iloprost, which is inhalation, and then you have the other two, and selexipag is a more recent one, which has been uh, used, but unfortunately, none of these are available in our country, so the experience is uh, less, uh, but uh, these are drugs which are very useful. They're particularly useful in pediatric group of patients or in patients who don't respond or are getting into serious uh, problems uh, in spite of the drugs. If you look at the number of patients studied throughout the years, you see that the larger number of patients have been studied in the uh, mesotantan group uh, and in the ambition where there was a combination of groups. So earlier studies used to be very brief, but now we have studies which are of larger number of patients. So if you were to follow a treatment algorithm, uh, you'll see that the patient, uh, you have to confirm pH. Uh, by echocardiography, you need to do a right heart catheter for all these patients. If you seriously want to treat them properly, you have to find out if they're vasoreactive or not. If they're vasoreactive, put them on nifedipine. If they're not vasoreactive, then uh, you treat them. Uh, most of these patients, unless they're very mild pulmonary hypertension with minimal symptoms, should be on a dual drug combination, uh, as I mentioned earlier. And if you look at the more recent guidelines of ECS, uh, you can see that the combination of ambrisantin and tadalafil uh, is uh, class 1b uh, for both uh, patients and class 2, class 3 heart failure patients. Of course, class 4, uh, most of them use prostacycline uh, uh, group of drugs. The important thing to remember is that 
the quicker you get them from a high risk to a low risk, the longer the benefit to the patient. So you got to get them to function in class 1 to 2. You get the 6-minute walking time to more than 450. Reduce the right atrial pressures to less than 8. Improve their cardiac output to more than 2.5. And this can be achieved quickly only by a combination of therapy. So proper dose, preferably a single dose combination, uh, would be the most preferential in getting these patients from a low risk into a small risk group. And of course, there are some surgical techniques like atrial septostomy, pot shunt, and a couple of patients, uh, pediatric patients at Coquilabin underwent pot shunts and they're doing well. And there's also pulmonary artery denervation, like renal artery denervation. It has been found that pulmonary artery denervation can also reduce idiopathic pulmonary hypertension. So I feel that there is a vast amount of patients that need to be treated. And I think we're not treating our patients properly. We, I think most of us just put on cylindrophil, don't do right heart catheters, don't use combination of drugs. And I think we're lucky that we got all these drugs available to us. I think we should be much more aggressive with our pH treatment than we are doing today. You are listening to a podcast from AOC 2020, organized by Dr. Dev Pelajani, Dr. Satyawan Sharma, Dr. Ajit Desai and Dr. Akshay Mehta of the Academy